We will this morning take your Bibles, open to 1 Samuel chapter 23. I will start with verse 14 and almost finish the chapter this morning. And we'll look at where God sends a friend and a foe to David. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised to make a great nation from one man. Most of you know that story. That man was Abram, who would later be renamed Abraham. And he believed God. He had faith in God, but that faith was a journey. It wasn't perfect faith. For years, Abraham questioned how God would make this happen, how God would give him a child and make him a great nation, and even tried to help God out a few times. Years went by after God made that promise to Abraham, and Abraham still remained childless. And so he asked God if his chief servant could just be his heir, trying to help God out a little bit. I don't have a child, but I've got this servant well within the culture of the day for that servant to be my heir. Can you just use this servant to make that nation? He's already here. God said, no, that's not the plan. You will have your own son, and his descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And Abraham believed God. But more time passed and still no child. And so Abraham's wife thought it would be a good idea to use a female servant named Hagar to carry Abraham's child. And Ishmael was born because of this union, but he was not the son that God promised to Abraham. About 14 years later, God spoke to Abraham again and told him specifically that he and his wife would have a child. This would be the promised child. And Abraham, if you remember the story, he laughed because he was 100 years old. And Sarah was 90 years old at that time. Wasn't Ishmael good enough? Could you just not use Ishmael? God said, that's not the plan. And Sarah did conceive in her old age, and she bore Isaac, the promised son. Finally, God told Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him. God was testing Abraham's faith. He did not have any intention of letting Abraham go through with this. And if you know the story, he didn't allow Abraham to go through with that. By that time, though, Abraham's faith in God had grown so much that he was willing to do that. And the author of Hebrews tells us why. If God has promised this son to you, and it took so many years for that promise to be realized, why in the world would you sacrifice him? And Abraham's faith in God and his belief in God's promises had grown so much over the years that the author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham knew that if that happened, God would raise Isaac from the dead. Because there's absolutely nothing that will stop God from keeping his word. Nothing will stop God from keeping his promises. And we know that, we say that, but sometimes we may not live like that. God made a promise to David. He promised David that he would be the next king of Israel. It's been a long time since that promise was made, though. It's been years since Samuel came to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and anointed David as the next king, and now Saul is hunting him like an animal. But if God's made a promise to David, is there really anything for David to fear? God's already promised it. And we're going to see some of that this morning uh, as we look at 1 Samuel 23. Look at verse 14 and 15. David and his men, who now numbered about 600 men, 
They left Keilah after rescuing that city. They went back to hiding in caves in the wilderness. Look at verse 14 and, and 15. And David abode in the wilderness and strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. The wilderness of Ziph here um, is uh, kind of towards the Dead Sea area of Israel. It's in that southern uh, land of Israel, which is called Judah. And, and when you think of, of Israel in your mind, and you think of the, just the wilderness area that's just dirt and rock, this is that area of Israel that you're thinking about. It's this wilderness in Judea. And so after David and his men left Keilah, they marched southeast towards the Dead Sea, that deserted area with a lot of caves. Perfect place to hide, but not a place to thrive. It'd be very hard to survive in a place like this. It wasn't always easy for David and his, his people. Verse 13, if you back up and look there, you can see that once they left Keilah, they went wherever they could go, the author tells us. They moved around. They didn't just set up camp in one spot. But if you've got Saul chasing you and looking for you, you've got to make it hard on him. You've got to move around. And so that's what they did. This was a tiresome, a grueling, a deadly and dangerous game of hide-and-seek. Saul is looking for him every day. That's what verse uh, 14 says. Saul sought him every day. All of Saul's energy, all of Saul's resources went towards finding and killing David, not being a good king, not helping his people, not finding out if Israelites needed help anywhere in any... All he wanted to do, every ounce of his effort as king, was about killing David. He was more concerned about killing David than taking care of his people. But I love the end of the verse. Even though Saul expended all of his efforts to kill David, we read at the end of verse 14, but God delivered him not into his hands. The king of Israel was not in control. The king of the universe was in control. When the strongest and the best efforts of man are in direct conflict with the will of God, those efforts are useless. David would be Israel's king one day because God had promised that. And there is absolutely no power on earth that can cause a promise of God to fall to the ground. Nothing. Men cannot stand in the way of God. It makes me think a lot about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love Matthew's account of the resurrection. He gives us a little more detail than some other gospel writers do about certain things. After Jesus was crucified and he was buried, the Pharisees went to Pontius Pilate and they asked for some Roman soldiers to guard that tomb. They weren't worried about a true resurrection, but what they were worried about was that the disciples would come and steal the body of Jesus and have a fake resurrection. Claimed that he was resurrected from the grave. And so they took that large stone, they rolled it in front of the tomb. They had a band of Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. And Matthew even tells us they sealed the tomb, which doesn't mean they made it airtight, but it means that there was an official Roman seal put on this stone, and so now tampering with this grave was official Roman Empire business. They did everything in their power 
to keep the body of Jesus Christ in that grave, in that tomb. But what happened? Early Sunday morning, the earth shook, the stone rolled away, an angel descended, and Jesus Christ, by the power of God, was resurrected and walked right out. And the soldiers fell over like they were dead. They fainted. They couldn't stand in the power and in the presence of God. Men cannot stand in the way of God. There was not a stone they could have found that was heavy enough. There was not a seal they could have put on that rock that had enough authority. There were not soldiers that were strong enough to keep Jesus Christ in the tomb. Men cannot stand in the way of God. We can do everything in our power. We can use everything at our disposal. We are no match for God. Here Saul is using everything in his power, his army, his resources, his people, every single day. He can't find one man though? Because God wasn't in it. Because God would not deliver David into his hand It's sad to look back on Saul's life and see where he, is, where he has become after such a promising start after that first victory. He sadly continues to fight against God, but he is no match. Day after day, time after time, God delivers David because he made a promise to David. You'll be king. This doesn't mean, though, that it was an easy time for David. God was delivering him, but just... Try as best you can to put yourself in David's shoes. Especially remember what happened earlier in this chapter. How would you feel if you just delivered an Israelite city from the Philistines? Which he did with Keilah. And then you find out that when Saul is marching towards that city, that that city is going to give you up and turn you over to Saul. But you just rescued them from the Philistines and they're going to turn their backs on you and hand you over to Saul. But he found that out and so he left. After delivering an Israelite city, which is what their king should have done, he has to go right back to being a fugitive. He goes right back to running. He goes right back from living cave to cave, doing what he can to survive. How difficult would that be and draining physically and emotionally and spiritually? I just delivered this city and they're turning their backs on me and now I'm just back to being a fugitive again. Nothing's changed. It's just I've got more people in my company now I've got to worry about feeding and taking care of. And but God knew that David would need some encouragement. So look at verse 16 through 18. Look at what happens at this time. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. He said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul my father knoweth. Jonathan said, Look, Saul knows this. Verse 18, And they too made a covenant before the Lord. And David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. As luck would have it, Jonathan showed up right then. That's very sarcastic. Luck had nothing to do with this. 
God was in this. God knew that David would need encouragement, and he knew that Jonathan was the right man for the job. He knew the covenant that they had made. We've seen the amazing friendship between David and Jonathan in previous chapters, but it's been a while since they've seen each other now. The last time they saw each other was during that story when uh, David asked Jonathan to lie for him and find out some information from his father. And, and Jonathan said, I'll, I'll find out the information and I'll come out and pretend like I'm target practicing my bow and arrow, if you remember that story. And if I shoot an arrow and I tell the boy who goes to retrieve the arrows, keep going, the arrow's a little bit past you, then that's your signal to go that Saul wants you dead. And that's exactly what happened. And David and Jonathan were able to say a, a goodbye at that time, but they have not seen each other since. It's been a while since they have seen one another. During this difficult and discouraging time for David, I love what it says in verse 16. It says, Jonathan, Saul's son, arose. Jonathan took some initiative here. I wonder if we're friends like that to other people. I think a lot of times maybe we just sit back and wait for people to ask us to do something for them. People don't do that, okay? A lot of people aren't just going to come out and tell you, I need some encouragement. Now, some people may, and that's great. Nothing wrong with that at all. But why, don't we, why aren't we people who will take the initiative ourselves and like Jonathan and just get up and do something? Get up and do something loving and friendly for people. You take the step because people are usually too proud, not in a bad way, they're too proud to ask for that. David didn't send calling for Jonathan. Jonathan got up and said, I know my friend needs some help right now. When you're going through tough times, you find out who your real friends are, right? Have you ever had, a, had that happen in your life? Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. I can't imagine how wonderful it would have been for David to get news that Jonathan's here. Jonathan's in camp. What? Where is he? But this was a lot more than just a nice, friendly reunion. Jonathan wasn't there just to see his buddy, just to see his friend. He was there to strengthen David. And it specifically says at the end of verse 16 where this strength came from. He strengthened his hand in God. I don't know. We're not told if Jonathan brought any money to David, if he brought any supplies, if he brought any weapons, if he brought any food, because that didn't matter. The best thing that Jonathan brought was a reminder of the promise that God made to David. He encouraged David and he strengthened him because of those promises. In verse 17, he reminds him of that. He says, fear not. And he says, Dad's not going to get you. You will be king. Even my father knows this. And so when Jonathan comes to strengthen David, he reminds David of these great promises. And so there's nothing to fear. Do not fear. If God had promised David, and he had, to be, that he would be the next king, was there any possible way that wouldn't happen? No, because God always keeps his promises. It is impossible for God to break a promise. It's impossible for God to lie. And so Jonathan uses that to encourage David. David, you've been anointed king. Don't be afraid of my father. 
I love this because it's real life stuff. We know that the life we have in Christ is eternal. We know it can't fade. We know the promises of God that He's made to us, that He will not leave us, He will not forsake us. We know that Christ is returning one day. We know the promise of the resurrection. We get that, but sometimes are we not like David where we worry and we fear because life isn't easy? Despite what a lot of authors may say, God did not promise you an easy life. Jesus told his disciples in this world, you will have tribulation. But what's the rest of that verse say? But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. This life isn't easy. It has never been easy ever since Eve was deceived and Adam willfully disobeyed God and plunged mankind into sin. But if you know the promises of God in Jesus Christ, don't be afraid. He will keep them. He can't break them. It's not within His nature and His character. It's impossible for God to lie. We don't have perfect faith, but we serve a perfect God. David, don't be afraid. You're going to be king. How do you know that, Jonathan? Because God said so. Just trust Him. So I'm sure Jonathan's visit encouraged David more than we can imagine. But if you look at verse 19 and 20, it didn't change the situation. David's still a fugitive. And look at verse 19 and 20. We're going to see some other people who will betray David. Verse 19, Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, if not David hide himself with us in a stronghold in the wood in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon, or the south of the desert. Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of thy soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. The wilderness of Ziph, Ziph was located in Judah, in the territory of Judah. And so these men, the Ziphites, are most likely from the tribe of Judah. Do you remember what tribe David's from? He's from Judah. So when these Ziphites come to Saul, this is an absolute betrayal. It is men of his own tribe who are letting Saul know David's whereabouts. No doubt they're doing this either out of fear, you know, fear of Saul, or hopes of a reward or both. But after everything that happened in Keilah and those people turning their backs on David and now the Ziphites are turning their backs on David, I just I can't imagine the, the discouragement that he would have been facing, especially if Jonathan hadn't come. He needed that strengthening, and God knew he did. But if you look at Psalm 54, David wrote a psalm about this time when the Ziphites betrayed him and told, Saul's, uh, told Saul his whereabouts. And in this psalm, he shows no desire to seek vengeance, but turns it all over to God. God, you, you handle it. You seek vengeance for me. I'm not taking matters into my own hands. I'll turn it all over to you. Psalm 54, David says, Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Verse 3 is, is really hurtful when you think about the people he's calling strangers. For strangers are risen up against me. Those strangers were people from his own tribe. 
and oppressors seek after my soul, they have not set God before them. Behold, God is mine helper. The Lord is with them that uphold my soul. He shall reward evil unto mine enemies. Cut them off in thy truth. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. For he hath delivered me out of all trouble. And mine eye hath seen his desire upon mine enemies. Verse 7 is going to mean a lot more in just a minute. David, even during this time of betrayal, he's come to the point now where he's not taking matters into his own hands. He's giving it over to God. God, you do what needs to be done. Not me. I'm trusting you. And I know you're going to do what's right. And so... In verse 21, back in 1 Samuel 23 now, verse 21 through 25, how do you think Saul is going to react when he gets this, this intel about where David is? He's going to be excited, obviously. He wants to make sure that it's established. And maybe, predictably, he misinterprets this as being from God. Look at verse 21. And Saul said, Blessed be ye of the Lord. He tells that to the Ziphites who have betrayed David. May the Lord bless you. For ye have compassion on me. Go, I pray you, prepare yet, and know and see his place where his haunt is, and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he dealeth very subtly. David's crafty. You've got to watch out for David. Verse 23, See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides himself, and come ye again to me with certainty, or with established truth, and I will go with you. And it shall come to pass, if he be in the land, that I will search him out throughout all the thousands of Judah. They arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of, the, of Jeshimon. Saul also and his men went to seek him, and they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Before we kind of get into the movements there, do you remember last week when Saul felt that God had delivered David into his hands at Keilah? He said, David's in a walled city now. This is God delivering David into my hands. And we, we mentioned that it is a complete misinterpretation of circumstances for Saul to think that God had delivered David into his hands because it went against God's word. Well, now here he is again, and Saul uses the name of God in verse 21 to bless people who have betrayed David. Do you think God is going to honor that blessing? Do you think that God appreciates when His name is thrown around to honor someone, to honor something that He will not honor, that He's against? God does not take it lightly when His name is used in association with or to bless someone that is in complete contradiction to his will and his truth. In 2 John, if you want to turn there, John gives us a warning about associating with false teachers. In 2 John, Verse 10 and 11, John says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, that's the doctrine of Christ, the truth about Jesus Christ. John says, Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. That's like saying, May God bless you. 
And here's why. Verse 11, he says, For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Why would God bless the work of a false teacher? He won't. It's in contradiction to his truth. And so John offers a warning there. Be careful who you help. Don't even lightly say, I'm not going to help you, but I hope God blesses you. See you later. Why would you wish God's blessing upon someone who's not teaching the truth? And here Saul is invoking the name of God saying, You should be blessed by Yahweh. For what? For betraying David? God does not take that lightly. He's not in that, and He will not bless that. But the Ziphites go on. They make sure the information is established. They make sure it's certain. Saul took his army, and they marched forth. Apparently, David gets word that Saul's headed that way, and he kind of leaves to a different wilderness area, this area, area called Maon. Saul hears that David's moved on, and so Saul keeps on chasing David. And look at verse 26. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul, for Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. It just builds and builds. Saul has finally, after years, he's finally located David. He's chased him down, and it seems like David may have some high ground, but Saul's forces are surrounding this mountain. David is looking for ways to escape. He's afraid. There's no way to escape. He is, he is encompassed about. There seems like a bloody battle is inevitable. Look at verse 27 and 28. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, they called the place Selahamah Lakoth, which means the rock of division. We would say slippery rock. Okay? There was a dividing line between David and Saul that day because of God. At the most dangerous moment that David had ever faced as a fugitive, when Saul finally found him, when his 600-man army were surrounded by the armies of Israel and King Saul, right then, right at that exact moment, it just so happened that a messenger came and told King Saul, the Philistines are attacking, you've got to come now. I think maybe what's shocking is that Saul actually leaves. I don't think it's shocking that we can see God's hand at work in this. But Saul actually leaves. He turns around and he leaves David for another day. And he leaves David and goes to fight the Philistines. I want you to think about this. God used the enemies of Israel, the Philistines, to rescue David in that moment. Isn't that amazing? Earlier he sent Jonathan. He sent a friend. Now he sent a foe to rescue David. God can use anything to accomplish his will. That's how powerful he is. So in this story, we saw a friend sent to encourage David, a foe sent to rescue David. Like so many other stories in the Bible, though, we read and we see God's hand at work, yet it's just normal events taking place. Friends meet with friends all the time, right? It wasn't just a coincidence that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. Enemies 
attack each other all the time, right? Armies fight one another. That's what they do. But it was no mere coincidence that the Philistines attacked when they did. It is no mere coincidence that the Israeli messenger made it exactly when he did, not an hour later. In this story, we see God's subtle yet strong hand at work. God working behind the scenes to accomplish His will. We call that providence or sovereignty. I know many of you sitting here today may be able to look back at your life and see God's subtle yet strong hand leading you and guiding you. I could give you a lot of examples in my own life. I'll give you one. When my dad, who's also a Baptist pastor, resigned from First Baptist here in Bryant and took pastor at Big Creek Missionary Baptist Church down in Poen. Allison and I came and joined North Bryant Baptist Church. We felt like it was time to put our big boy pants on and we didn't have to follow dad everywhere he, everywhere he goes. And we will be adults now, you know. We joined North Bryant. I wasn't even a preacher. Didn't want to be a preacher. And now I'm your pastor. There is no way to explain that except the hand of God. His providence, His sovereignty. Um, there's a whole lot more I could tell you than that. Ask, ask Brother John sometime about the story of how um, I started as associate pastor here. God working through normal events, subtly yet powerfully. God's always in control even when we don't realize it. It doesn't mean life is easy. Okay? David's life was not easy. If you think his life was easy, you go live in the wilderness of Judah for a while without 600 men you're caring about, but just you. But God used those trials that David faced to mature him and to grow him and to teach him that you can trust me, David, in any situation and to mold him into a man who would become a great king. And God can use the trials that we face to grow us and to teach us and to allow us to become better servants. Listen, don't ever be complacent in your walk with God. God always wants you to grow. Even the Apostle Paul said, I haven't made it there yet. And if Paul hadn't made it there yet, I venture to say none of us have either. We can always grow. And even when we're facing difficult times and life isn't easy, don't be afraid because God is there and His promises will never fail. Sometimes God uses other people to encourage us during difficult times like He used Jonathan to strengthen David. You may have had that in your life. It's priceless to have a good friend during difficult times. And the best friends are those friends like Jonathan who don't just bring food or money or supplies or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with those things. But the best friends strengthen your hand in God. And I hope and pray that North Bryant is filled with friends who do that for one another and for others outside of these walls as well. Be that kind of friend to others. To show God's love and care and concern. God sent a friend to strengthen David, but even more importantly, God sent His Son to save you. 
infinitely more than David ever needed Jonathan. You and I needed a Savior. And God met that need. He only, not only did He meet that need, He met it with His only Son. And if you'll repent and if you'll trust Him, you will take hold of the amazing promises of God that will never fail. Forgiveness and eternal life being two big ones. God always keeps His promises. So don't fear. Just trust Him. Will you stand? Let's bow for a word of prayer as we prepare for an invitation. Father, we thank You for Your Word. So many stories in Your Word of, of people who have struggled, people who are going through difficult times, and yet You are always there, God. You're always in control. Thank you for giving us so many stories to help us learn to trust you because we need so many stories, Lord, because our lives are just like that. They're not easy. They're tough. We struggle. But nothing's ever a struggle for you, God. You're powerful. And you're merciful. And we just thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for your son. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.